Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The season of Lent. We have arrived. It seems so quick on the heels of Christmas. Easter will come early this year. And now here in the season of Lent, the subdued colors of, of violet, the subduing of the the songs of the church, the refraining from various words in our liturgies, the foregoing of various things in our lives, the fasting that we will do, the things we, we give up for the season of Lent. These are all now upon us. For what purpose? Why? Why Lent? For the sake of two trees. We have the season of Lent for the sake of two trees. A tree of life and a tree that brought death. There into the perfect garden of Eden, into the bliss that was the marriage between the first man and the first woman, into the life of Adam and Eve, slithered the deceiver, Satan, the liar, the father of lies. And was right there into the garden. They weren't outside the garden. They weren't out wandering around. They were right there in the midst of the garden, in the presence of the trees that God had promised to them. One tree to bring them life in their eating of it, and one tree to bring a chance to worship as they obeyed his word and ate it not. But into that bliss, into that house of God, into that place of their very worship, Satan comes in and twists the word of God, turns it on its head, and tempts Adam and Eve. Into the bliss, into the blessings, and into the niceties of our own lives, into those very moments when God is handing us the greatest blessings, there the deceiver will slip in and try to twist God's word against you. He will come in and he will find your weaknesses and exploit them. He will find your desires and they will conceive and bear fruit to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, will mature into death. So we, like Adam and Eve, are tempted ones. Tempted and fallen. For we have no strength of our own against which to stand the, the temptations of the evil one. For the twisting of God's word sounds so good to our ears. The temptations of Satan are not that Murder is good, but the question is, did God really say that is murder? The tempting that comes from Satan's deceiving is not that adultery is correct, but in that he twists God's word to ask, did God really say that is adultery? Or is that just okay? 
So into the garden did Satan slither, and the question was asked, did God actually say? And there's the beginning of each and every temptation conceived of Satan, born of our own sinful nature and of our hearts. Did God really say that what I have in mind is truly wrong, or can I find a way around it? Did God actually say, you can't eat from any tree in the garden? What kind of a God is that? He he holds all these things back from you. you. You can see them. You can touch them. You can smell them. They must taste so good. What kind of a God would say, you can desire that, but you can't have it? Did God actually say, you can't eat from any tree in the garden? But the woman said to the serpent, knowing her word of God so well, but already with fear in her voice, oh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. He has given all this to us. But God said we can't eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you know what? We probably shouldn't even touch it, or then we're going to die. Oh, Eve, weren't you listening? Oh, Eve, did you not know God's very word? You're right, you shall not eat it, but what is this about touching it? Did God not set a wide enough hedge around the tree? Was God's law not sufficient enough for you that you should add, we're not even going to touch it? Eve, do you not trust God's word to be sufficient and enough that you should have to add to it? Oh, Eve, you're already deceived. But the serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die. And there you have it, the father of lies. You know Satan is lying when his lips are moving. You will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And in a way, those are the greatest deceptions of all, the ones that begin with a dose of truth but lead you afar, far from where God has brought you. For indeed, Adam and Eve would know both good and evil, for at this time they knew only good, only the good that God had given them, only the blessings that God had poured out on them. And in eating of that tree, they would indeed know the difference between good and evil. But what he didn't tell them is that the evil would be themselves. So she looks to the tree and she desires it. That which was conceived in the doubt of the word of God bears fruit in the action of sin. Already doubting God's word, already by nature sinful, she bears fruit to sin. Already believing that the fruit would be good for her, she reaches out and she eats. She saw that the tree was good for food, delightful to the eyes, and desired to make one wise. So gluttony, lust, and pride are conceived in the garden, and she eats. And where's her husband? She gave, she took some of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he 
8. He was with her. Oh, Adam, did you not know God's word? Did you not know your responsibility? Oh, man of God, could you not step in and defend your wife against the tempter? No, because you too were tempted and deceived. And so he ate instead of defending her. Instead of speaking the clear word of God and stepping in and laying down his life in her place, no, he takes and he eats. And they know good and evil. Their eyes were opened and they were naked and they tried to hide it. They were ashamed. Into the twisting words of Satan, our ears love to hear. Our sinful natures love to be enticed and dragged along, titillated. When we see that the things that have not been given to us are desirable, good for food, make us wise, wiser than God himself, and there we are tempted. And since that fall into sin, each one of us has been conceived and born sinful, and so we we are already by nature sinful and unclean. Already all that we would desire, all that we would want, all that we would attempt are tainted by sin. And so our whole life is one of repentance. That is the season of Lent, to keep our eyes focused on Christ and his cross and to meditate upon the reason for that cross, my sin. We can easily identify the sins of others. But the season of Lent, I challenge you, say nothing more than my sin is why God came. But God did not leave them there in that sin, in that transgression. God did not leave them alone. God does not abandon you to your sinful nature and to your temptations. No, he comes to you. They hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the tale of two trees continues. For the sake of a tree of life and for the sake of a tree of death, God comes to the garden and he walks. And they hide. Because the last thing we want when we're guilty and when we're ashamed is to conf be confronted by God. And so they hide. But the Lord God calls to the man, where are you? Is this some game of divine hide-and-seek? Adam, where are you? Did God forget? Could God not see behind the fig leaves? Could God not see through the trees of the garden? Why does he ask, where are you? like every question that God asks, that Jesus asks throughout his ministry, that is ever asked of you from God's word, those questions are not there for God's benefit, but for yours. God asks, where are you? Not because he could not find Adam, but he was calling Adam forth in repentance so that God could shower upon him grace and forgiveness. God says, where are you? So that Adam could come forth and say, here I am. Forgive me. 
But from that sinful fruit comes more sin. Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, well, who told you that you were naked? Again, Adam's benefit. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Adam, tell me the truth. I know you have. I know why you know you're naked. I know. Say it with me now. I confess. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Faith would say, yes, I repent. Faith would say, yes, Lord, I have lived as if you have not mattered and as if I had mattered most. Faith says with God's word, we say along with God, for this is what confess means, to say with God that I am by nature sinful and unclean and I deserve nothing but your judgment. Forgive me. Have nothing with me except your mercy. Adam, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Friend in Christ, have you coveted that thing which God has not given you? Are you prideful in the talents and abilities of what you have accomplished? Has money become your God? Has something drawn you away from remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Have you honored God's name and all that you say and do in your life? Have you eaten of the tree of which God commanded you not to eat? The question is asked not to accuse, but to call forth your repentance. So repent. Yes, Lord, I have. I have sinned. I throw myself upon your mercy. But how often then do we join in the chorus of that first Adam and say, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. It's not my fault. And it, may, it might sound like Adam is blaming Eve here, but look more closely. He's not blaming Eve. The woman whom you gave me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Adam is blaming God. God, you made me this way. You gave me this gift. You enticed me with this. You tempted me. God tempts no one. But we pray in this petition that he would lead us out of temptation. The Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? Repent, Eve. What is this that you have done? Yes, I ate. It looked good. I was foolish. Forgive me. But no, more blame. The serpent deceived me and I ate. The devil made me do it. It's not my fault. It's somebody else. If you hadn't done this, then it wouldn't be me. God has none of it and declares to the serpent, your days are numbered. And in cursing Satan, he gives grace even to Adam and Eve in their rebellion. Even in our rebellion against God, as we embrace the sin for which we are tempted from our own sinful nature, God's grace remains yours, calling you to repentance, calling you back to his house, calling you back to his gifts. God declares to Satan, I'm going to put division between you and the woman between your offspring, 
and her one offspring. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. Satan, I'm going to send one born of a woman who will crush your head, who will destroy you. I will send a second Adam, one whom you will tempt and who will not fall into that temptation. One who will stand against your evil armies and crash the gates of hell and release every prisoner and every shackle that keeps them in bondage to sin. Satan, your days are numbered. I will set my people free. One will fight for them. I will send my son for them. Three chapters into Genesis, and the gospel is proclaimed in its truth and purity, and Adam and Eve are given the grace undeserved by them, grace undeserved by us, that our enemy Satan, who would tempt us, who would cause us to doubt God's word, who would want to lead us astray and, and question God's benevolence, God promises that he will defeat this enemy. And in the fullness of time, God sends his son, Jesus. He comes from Nazareth in Galilee to the Jordan, is baptized by John, and heaven is ripped open. No more is the way to the tree of life barred and guarded by that fiery sword, that angelic security guard. No, in Jesus, heaven is torn open and the Spirit comes to you and the Father declares, you are mine. Because that same Spirit immediately drives Jesus out into the wilderness. Because that is all that is left after sin. Adam and Eve leave the garden and are thrown out into the wilderness. And so Jesus goes there into the wilderness, tempted for 40 days by Satan. But he does not submit. He does not fall prey to the lies of Satan. He answers every accusation and every temptation with God's holy word and stands where the first Adam could not. For 40 days he was tempted. He was with the wild animals and angels ministered to him. For every day of our lives we are tempted but angels minister to us and God's word comes to us because where we will fall and we will fail, Christ has won the victory. He has already gone through your temptations. He has already endured your trials and your sorrows and he has taken them to his cross and buried them in his own grave. And on the third day, when he rose again, those sins, those temptations, those sorrows, that eternal death did not rise. But Christ, he did. And so do we. And so in the temptation of Jesus, we have him undoing the first fall into sin. We have Jesus, the second Adam, the greater Adam, our mighty fortress, the one who fights for us on the field against the old evil foe. And though he will tempt us and twist the words of God in so many ways in all our days, Jesus has already won our victory. And so we can say along with God, yes, I have eaten of the fruit of which you have not given me to eat. Yes, I have desired that which you have not given to me. For the sake of Jesus, forgive me, I repent.
And there are the blessings of Lent. There's the blessings of the cross. There are the blessings of Easter. In the faith that God gives, we acknowledge our sinfulness because Jesus came for sinners. So don't be afraid. Fear not the foe because Christ fights on your side and has already won your battle. You will remain steadfast under trial because Christ has already defeated your enemy. And in receiving the forgiveness of all your sins, the temptations are all undone. So don't be afraid to repent. Don't be afraid to answer God's questions to say, yes, I have failed. Don't be afraid. For in repentance, God pours out forgiveness and grace. And those are his greatest gifts. For there is a third tree, the cross, a true tree of life of which we just sang in that beautiful text, a tree of life whose way is now wide open for you, the fruits of which come to us in the very body and blood of Jesus. There is the true tree of life, and it's yours. So we can come and we can eat and we can drink, we can be rejoicing in this, the paradise that God has made for us now. Surrounded by his word, surrounded by his presence, we are in Eden. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.